was a little crazy. Um, we were supposed to start two services, decided to get a lot of snow. That was fun. We played. We made snowmen and everything. But we also started our new series, Walking Through the Book of Nehemiah. Now, I'll say this. If you didn't get a chance to watch last week's message, I would highly encourage you to go back, take about 30 minutes, and get caught up on that. One, it was really good. Um, but the bigger one is it really kind of sets up a lot of the book of Nehemiah. We didn't just want to jump into it. Really, we went through like 150 years of history that led up to this book that we'll be walking through over the next several, several months. And so last week, we kind of jumped into it a little bit, and Nehemiah gets this news that, hey, the city of Jerusalem is not doing well. It's been destroyed. They're, the people have been scattered. Things are just not good. And it's one of those moments, like the only thing I think, if you were alive in 2001 and have a little bit of memory... Um, for us, if you were fall into that group and if some of you go, I wasn't alive then, just chill. Um, you know exactly where you were on September 11th. Like you remember exactly what was happening, the people that were around you, how you found out about it. It was a huge monumental moment in the life of our country. Like I'll never forget, I got done with a college algebra class that was way too early in the morning. And I'm going to my history class, and I walk into that building, and I saw two of the professors that were kind of over the department. And uh, they were walking a little bit fast, and professors just don't seem to do that very often. And they were talking, and just had some concerned looks on their face. And as I passed by, I just overheard one part of their conversation, and they said, you know this means war, right? And I knew something was up, and I walked into my history class, and Dr. Borg said, hey, you probably don't know yet. Um, we didn't have smartphones then. He said, uh, we've been attacked. Two planes have already flown into the Twin Towers. A plane has hit the Pentagon. There's one that they don't know where it's going. And that's just what we're going to talk about right now. And I, it was one of those moments, it was like being hit. Like, I'd never heard that. Like, it had been really like <laughs> entire generations before when Pearl Harbor happened that someone was told, your country has been attacked. There is places that are in ruins right now. And it literally, it's like being hit. And this is kind of how Nehemiah begins. He gets this news that this city that he loves, and he knows the history, and he knows that people have tried to go and rebuild, and it hasn't worked, and others have tried to rebuild, and it doesn't work, and man, this just hits him very hard. And so we're going to get to see today how he responds to that. Nehemiah is an absolutely phenomenal leader. You're going to learn tons of leadership stuff in it, but you're also going to see today that, man, before we do anything, we have got to learn, and we have got to make it a priority to pray. And we're going to get to see the prayer that Nehemiah makes. So we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screens. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4 it says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so as he's going to get into his prayer, we need to know this. Before a great work of God starts, it starts with a great work in an individual. Nehemiah knows he's going to do something pretty profound. He knows he's going to do something pretty big. But before anything can happen there, something has to change in him. Something has to happen that God is going to work into who he is. And this hits Nehemiah hard. Literally, it says, I heard this. I had to sit down, and I wept, and I mourned for days. Like some of you have been in one of those moments where you got some news, and like you had to sit down for it. Like It had a profound impact on your life. It kind of took the wind out of you a little bit. Like, I remember years and years ago, I was in student ministry, and I was sitting in my office, and one of the people I worked with came in and said, hey, I need to, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, okay. And said, uh, this particular student, um, this is what they did. And it was a sin, and I'm just going to tell you, it was, it was big. 
And it was a kid that I had poured time into. It was a kid that I had spent a lot of time with, mentoring, teaching him the Bible. And when I heard what he had done, like he hadn't, he hadn't come to any of us. It was in very secret. Like it, it completely unnerved me. Like to the point where it made me physically sick. Like I remember throwing up. I was so mad. I was like, I want to fight a kid. I know I'll go to jail, but it seems like the right thing to do right now. Like it just, it, it broke me. And Nehemiah hears about this city of Jerusalem that he loves and it says that he just weeps and he mourns. Not because it was, oh, my city is gone, but he goes, that, that city means something. That city represents who God is. That city represents his glory and his people. And it's in tarnish and it's trashed right now and he just breaks down and cries. Nehemiah is an unbelievable leader and he's going to prepare himself. And so look at what he does. He prays. Before he does anything, before he puts any leadership into, into practice, he gets down and he prays. And he fasts and he says, God, I, I want to put such a focus on you that I'm, I'm going to take something as good as food. And we just kind of went through that season where everything was great and now we've got to pay for it at the gym. But he goes, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fast. That's the idea behind fasting. I'm forsaking this to put my focus on something more important. And so he prays, and he fasts, and he just begins to seek God. God, what, what, do you, what are you calling me to do? What do you want me to do to make this situation better? And I think it's also important to see the things that he doesn't do. Nehemiah doesn't complain in this moment. There's a lot of complaining that happens in our world today, and there's a lot of avenues for us to complain, and we can go to social media, we can go on the news, we can do all those things. You don't see that in Nehemiah. He doesn't complain about it, and he doesn't blame other people. He doesn't go, well, man, if so-and-so had just stood up and done this the right way, then it would have been better. He doesn't complain. He doesn't blame people. He just takes ownership of this situation. I would say he takes extreme ownership. If you want a good book on leadership, there's a book called Extreme Ownership by a guy named Jocko, former Navy SEAL. It's really, really good. And he tells a story in the beginning of the book. He said that one day they were in a firefight. And he comes rolling up, and it's, he's got some soldiers, and then there's some army guys, and he's like, okay, what's, what's the situation? And they said, well, there's some insurgents in there. We, we think they're in that part, and uh, we we pretty sure we hit one of them. They hit some of our guys. Uh, we can't find your team, um, so we got a tank rolling up. We're just going to blow the building up. And he goes, you don't know where my team is? No? Hold up. And he goes over to this building where people have been shooting at him and goes, are you all in there? And his team answers back, yeah, our comms are down. And it was a friendly firefight. And when that happens in the military, that's a big, big deal. And so heads have, or, you know, someone has to be accountable for it. And so his, his officers over him come in and they say, whose fault is this? And he said, it was kind of surprising. He said, it's mine. There's no one else to blame. Like, I'm in charge of this. We need to do a better job of communicating with other groups. We need to make sure our equipment is working. And he said, we went in and I took ownership it's called extreme ownership, and said, you know what, we're going to make this better. And this is what Nehemiah does. He, he doesn't complain about it. He doesn't blame other people. He just takes ownership and says, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to pray to God. And sometimes prayer makes us a little nervous. Like if I were to call on somebody right now and say, come on up, I'm going to have you pray. Some of you get really nervous about that. Some of you are wondering, is he really going to do that? I'm kidding. I'm not. But sometimes we go, man, it's just, I don't completely understand prayer. Prayer is just us communicating with God. Unless the definition has changed since I was a comm major, communication is an individual sending out a message, and it goes through noise, things that are trying to distract, and it goes to a recipient. That person hears the message, 
formulates a response, that goes back out through noise, all the distractions, and the original person gets it, and now you have communication. And this is what we do with God. We make our requests and we make our praise and all these different things known, and there's all these things trying to distract, but here's the great thing about God. Nothing distracts. There's never a prayer where he goes, come again. There's never a point where he goes, I didn't, I didn't hear you clearly. God hears everything. But something in prayer that's important for us to remember is, hey, he's sending a message back as well. A lot of times we think a prayer is just this, 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 but it's also this, this, this. And you've got to stop down and you've got to listen to the response that God has given us. And so if you kind of want to know how do I structure my prayer, Nehemiah actually does this really well. There's an acronym that we use today called ACTS. How do we pray before God? ACTS, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration, C stands for confession, T stands for thanksgiving, and S stands for supplication. And this is kind of the order in which we do prayer. And this is the way that we honor God with it. And you get to watch how Nehemiah does this. But prayer starts with an attitude of humility. Like when you pray, it's not puffing yourself up. It's you coming before a holy and perfect God and being able to talk to him. Think about that. We have the opportunity to speak with the creator of the universe. And that starts with humility. There's an author that I read this week. He made this statement about prayer. He said, the self-sufficient do not pray. They merely talk to themselves. The self-satisfied will not pray. They have no knowledge of their need. And the self-righteous cannot pray. They have no basis on which to approach God. When we approach God with humility and we lay a foundation of prayer, big things can happen. Later in the story, I've already shared this, but Nehemiah is going to build a wall that's a one and a half to about two and a half miles long, and he's going to do it in 52 days. He's going to do it without the aid of modern equipment. It's not like he had a backhoe and things like that. He didn't call up Costco and say, hey, we need to order stuff. Like, this was just a man on a mission from God. And in 52 days, he builds this massive wall, but it was built on a foundation of about four months of prayer. From the time that he prays the prayer that we'll look at in a second to the time that he goes before the king, for four months, he is praying and praying and praying. And so let's look at what that looks like. In Nehemiah 1, in verse 5, it says, And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And so the first thing that we see, we get to see Nehemiah's adoration. Adoration being praise towards God. Adoration being, God, look at who you are. And it literally, the way that begins, he says, Lord God of heaven. Sometimes we see that, we just read it quickly. But even within that, there's a sense of adoration that is happening. Because those words mean something very different. Like if you look in the Bible and you see Lord and it's all capitalized, that's a very honorable way of saying this is Yahweh, this is God. But the Israelites also had other words for God. And so when he says Lord of he or God of heaven, he's saying, look, it's not just like the God of what I can see. Literally, the God of the cosmos, the God that can see everything, that created everything, that looks upon everything in the universe and goes, that's mine. That God is God of everything. That's God that he goes, I know. He is seated on the throne. He is bigger than all, and it's not me. See, it's not about us. 
As he begins and he says, you're, you're God, you're the God of heaven. There's all these different names for God in, in the Old Testament. And each kind of contribute or give a different attribute of who God is. And he says, man, I know there's a God in heaven and I know it's not me. And he says, you're the God that keeps his covenant. So that means that God is trustworthy. Like if you can find something trustworthy these days, you almost don't want to tell somebody about it. Like you want to keep it to yourself like this is mine. Like you go on the news right now. Let's be honest. Do you trust half of the stuff that you see on the news? No. We just joke about it later on and make memes. And that's just on news stations. Do you trust stuff that you see in sports? No. Because Notre Dame got ranked over A&M, and I don't trust that. So there's that. Like, I, if you find something trustworthy, you go, this is amazing. And the beautiful thing about God is he's absolutely trustworthy. And this means something to Nehemiah. He goes, you're the God that keeps your covenant. Your covenant being that you will restore your people. You will restore all things to, as they should be. And he just heaps up this adoration of, my God, you are trustworthy. My God, you are loving. And he just goes about all these different traits of God. And if we stop down and think about him, man, there is a lot to praise him for. There is a lot to say, man, you are so much bigger than who I am. And that is amazing because I'm not that big. And we look outside sometimes and go, man, I love the creation, but not as much as the creator. And we go, thank you, God, because you're the one who made all of this. And we, we give him the adoration because, yes, it's beautiful. But there are times where you just don't feel big. Like no one goes to the ocean and stands and looks at this massive body of water and goes, I'm pretty awesome. No, you're just kind of in amazement that this thing is out there and God created it. I love to ski and I love to go up the lift and the first time that I get off before I go down any run, I just stop and try and take it in. Because you look and as far as you can see, it's these massive mountain peaks. And no one looks at that and goes, I'm really cool. I'm very successful. And you look at that and it's like, there is an amazing God who made all of this. And we give him adoration. And that's where our prayers start, in honoring God for who he is and what he has done. But then he continues on, and you get to see Nehemiah's confession. He says, confessing the sins of the people. Sorry. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah knows that restoration is possible. Nehemiah knows that God can bring all things back together and he can make all things right. But Nehemiah knows in order for that to happen, for that restoration to happen, there first has to be confession. Nehemiah knows the reason that they are in the situation they are. Right now, Nehemiah is an oppressed man. He serves a king that isn't his king. He's hundreds of miles away from his city and his people. And he's actually got it pretty good. He's the king's cupbearer. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he's kind of in a position of authority. He knows there's plenty of other people right now that are essentially slaves. And there's people back home that are just working in squander. And he says, I know what brought this. It wasn't that, man, our army just wasn't good enough one day. It wasn't that, hey, somebody slipped up and we, we got taken over. He knows God said, if you walk in disobedience, I'm going to scatter you. And Nehemiah confesses that. And he says, I know what put us in this situation, and it's sin. Anything that does not glorify God, we call sin. And so sin can be in a lot of places. And Nehemiah knows it's, 
It's my actions that put us here today. What he also does is he doesn't just say they. He says we. He acknowledges, hey, my father and my household, we are just as guilty as everyone else. And he knows that, hey, if we want to move forward, if we want to see restoration, then there's going to have to be some confession. We're going to have to cry out to God and say, God, I have messed up. This is what is happening in my life, and I am willing to lay it bare, and I want to confess that so that there can be restoration. We know this is important because it holds a lot of people back. There are times where people will look at their lives and say, man, for for years or decades even, I've been in the same spot spiritually. Why am I not growing? Why am I not moving forward? And a lot of times it's sin holding us back. 500 years after this is written in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, the writer says this. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. What he means in that? Is hey, let's stop coming every week and bringing the same baggage over and over and over again. Let's move past that. Let's lay that down. Let's kill it. And let's move past that so that we can grow in our maturity in God. And Nehemiah knows, hey, if we want to see restoration, if we want to grow, then we need to confess that. And I need to confess my own stuff. This is a good leadership lesson. Leaders aren't just concerned with their own stuff, their own abilities and talents they also know that they have some weaknesses. Like if you've been around some phenomenal leaders, you know they have great, great abilities. Even in the New Testament, when Jesus tells the story of the, the, story of the talents, there's a five-talent guy, a three-talent guy, one-talent guy. Part of that story is people have different abilities. Some people are five-talent people, and five-talent people will take that and make five talents more. Three-talent people will take that and make three talents more. A one-talent person can take that and make one talent more. But in the story, that guy just buries it in the sand and looks like a dummy. But some people, man, they're five-talent people, and I've got to work around some leaders that I'm like, man, there is so much that I can learn from you. There is so much that I want to be like. But at the same time, it's not about being prideful. Nehemiah knows I'm a five-talent person. There's a lot of things that I can do, but I also know that I am responsible for my actions. And I am in this situation because of my sin, and I want to repent from that. I want to turn away from that so that there can be restoration. He acknowledges his weakness, and we've got to do the same. Then in verse 8, he continues praying. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcast in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Here we get to see Nehemiah's thanksgiving. Nehemiah knows, hey, there's a reason we're in this situation. He knows what God had said. And here's another thing. Nehemiah knows scripture. Nehemiah is kind of pulling from Deuteronomy and Leviticus as he makes this prayer. And he says, hey, I I know scripture. And that's a powerful thing. It's a good reminder for us today. When we pray, praying scripture is powerful. And he says, I know the story. And I know, and I'm living the tough part of the story. You said, man, if you're disobedient, I am going to scatter you. And he's, he's in the scatter portion right now. And he's looking around knowing that, hey, there's a city over there and it's desolate and these people have been taken away and nothing is really good for us right now. He knows that part of the story. But he also knows the promise. And it's a conditional thing. Hey, you're disobedient? I'm going to scatter you. But if you will walk in my commandments, I will bring you back and I will dwell among you. 
And see, Nehemiah knows that promise, and he is saying, God, thank you. Thank you that it doesn't end with, I'm just going to scatter you and leave you and forget you and forsake you. Thank God that there is that promise that, hey, I can restore this. I can make this right. And Nehemiah knows that promise, and he is unbelievably thankful for it. And as we live in today's age, we live in a time where, yes, Christ has come. There have been some powerful promises. God fulfilled those through his son, Jesus Christ. And we need to be thankful for those promises today. Man, I'm thankful for grace. Unbelievably thankful that God graciously pours that out. And he says, hey, it's not about your good outweighing your bad. This isn't a karma thing. Your bad is pretty heavy. It's sin against a holy God. And I'm unbelievably thankful for grace. And I'm thankful for those times where I go, man, why did I respond like that? Why, why, did, I, why did I do that? I'm thankful that we can go to God and say, God, I need your forgiveness, and that grace is poured out. Man, I'm thankful for the fact that he said, you have eternal security. You read in Ephesians, and he says, hey, I have sealed you away for that day in those times where you go, man, I am screwing this up. And if anyone in my circle of influence did the things that I'm doing, I would push them out of said circle. And yet God's going, no, I still got you. My grace is sufficient to cover you forever. That's the beautiful thing about when someone comes to Jesus Christ, you say, man, I want to follow you. I want to turn away from who I was, and I want to follow Christ. One, we know in that moment there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness of all the sins that you've committed. Here's the abounding thing of grace. It covered the sins you haven't even done yet. Fifteen years from now, you're going to be walking through the house. You're going to stub your toe, and you're going to go, ah! you're going to catch yourself and say, God, forgive me. And he will. And at the same time, 15 years before, that's already been forgiven. Like we've been made new and all of that grace has been poured out. I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful for eternal security. I'm thankful that when Jesus looked at his people, he said, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send a comforter for you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus ascends into heaven and shortly thereafter, the Holy Spirit is poured out on his people and it becomes a promise to us. That, hey, you're going to have a comforter when you walk through really difficult times. You're going to be given spiritual gifts if you are in Christ to be able to use for his glory and to make his name known. And it's a promise that was given to us. And it's another promise that we just get to look at and say, thank you. Thank you for the fact that we know one day you are going to restore all things as they should be. And then it closes his prayer with verse 11. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Here we see Nehemiah's supplication. So as we pray and we open and we say, God, you're great. Man, you are so much bigger than who I am. And then we go into a moment and we confess our sin. And then we say thank you for all the blessings that he's poured out on us. And then there is a time where we say, hey, there are things that I want to ask. There are things that I want to see happening in my life, in the lives of other people, in the lives of churches, in, in the life of our world. And yes, we get to go before God and say, can you do this? Now, there's times where we make supplication, and supplication is maybe a little greedy. And look, we've all done that, right? I know that because I've been in middle school before. And some of my prayers, if they were really in God's will, I would be taller right now. Some of those prayers as a junior high kid, they weren't really about God. It was more just, 
hey, God, I know I'm in seventh grade, and uh, that girl has no idea who I am who's a senior, but could you maybe just do something crazy in that? Like, I'd probably have a different spouse if that prayer got answered. But there are prayers that we make that are very God-honoring. And man, Nehemiah is going to go big. (laughs) His prayer, he says, God, I need you to move in the heart of a king. Because when he says, show mercy in the sight of this man, this man will kind of introduce next week. But it's a guy named King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah is his cupbearer. Sometimes that sounds like a weird title and position because we don't really do that in our society today. But back then, the king would be served wine. And before he took a drink, the cupbearer would take it, take a sip. I'm still alive and hand off the cup because people got poisoned a lot back then. And so, one, I don't know if I would want to have that job with certain leaders, um, but you, you really wanted the king to be in good favor with everybody, but it was also a place of position. He was in the king's court. He was in front of the king very often. And he said, God, I know if I'm going to be able to go and do what I feel you calling me to do, he's going to have to give me permission. So I need you to move in the heart of a pagan king. And I need you to move his heart in your will, and I know that you can do it. So his prayer request is pretty big. He's asking God, I need you to change a man's heart. And that's a prayer that we have to make as well. Because there's times that you look, in, you look at somebody's life and you go, man, I know your heart is far from God. I know your heart is hurting. I know you were doing things that are destructive. God, I, I, I want to see that person's heart changed. Or times where we go, man, God, I, I need you to raise people up. I need people to, to step up and, and, and do and serve and love you deeply. And we go, how do we get people to do that? And look, sometimes you can't. Sometimes I can't. But God can. And so this has been one of my prayers this week. Man, God, I need you to stir in people's hearts and raise up things. God, I want to see another Nehemiah. I could support that. Like I could get behind somebody that's leading in that way that's all about your glory and leading well. And so he prays, God, I need you to move in this king's heart so that powerful, powerful things can happen. And he says, and give success to your servant today. Sometimes it seems weird to pray that. Because sometimes how we phrase that determines and means a lot of our motive behind it. Sometimes we say, God, give me success. And the emphasis is on me. God, make me a great leader. God, raise me up in my company. God, let my business be awesome. And we want success. And like, sometimes it feels almost guilty because it's prideful. But look what Nehemiah does. Give success to your servant. Yes, we need to pray for success. Sometimes in the prosperity world, that kind of gets grabbed and we go, oh, I don't want to get near it. But man, Nehemiah is going, God, it's not about me. It's about you. And so please make me successful. And there is no shame in praying that. And so that's been another prayer I've had this week of God, man, we've been doing all this crazy stuff the last couple months. And man, all these different things. And God, it does not need to be about us. It doesn't need to be about, oh, look how good you are. But it needs to be about your glory. And if it's about your glory, God, I want you to make that successful. Like, I want you to bring fame to your name so that we can tell people the gospel. And so praying that, God, I, I want to see people here that don't know you, don't know who you are so they can hear the whole gospel. And there's no shame in saying, God, we want to see success in things that bring you glory. And Nehemiah makes that prayer known because Nehemiah already knows, man, God is stirring something in my heart. God is moving in some big ways, and I know he's calling me to do something that I can't do on my own. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray. 
And so as we go out this week, when we make our prayers known, pray big prayers. Man, there's a lot to praise God and give him adoration for. Because he is the God that creates these beautiful snow days that we had recently. He's the God who creates these beautiful colors that we see. He's the God that blesses us with unbelievable things to live in the time that we do. So there's a lot of adoration. Let's also be willing to go before him and say, God, I know that I am not perfect. And I want to move past that. I don't want that to be me anymore. And we confess. We say thank you for all the things that he's done for us. And then we ask God-honoring things that make his name known. We pray those prayers this week. And you'll just watch what God does in response. Let's pray. God, as we talk about, we do want to say that you are an amazing God. That you are worthy of every praise that we give, God. That you are holy and you are perfect. And we say thank you. And God, we come before you and we say, we know that there's plenty of areas where, God, we know that we can be more honoring to you. And God, I pray that you will just take some of those from us and, and God, just show us your glory and we'll chase after that. And God, we know that confession can lead to something absolutely amazing. God, we know that when we confess and we say, hey, I don't want it to be about me anymore. I want to follow Christ. We know that that makes someone a new, a new creation. And so if that's you today or you're watching online and you, you never had a moment where you said, hey, I, I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Look, it's not about going to church. It's not about being a good moral person. There's something deeper. It's, it's knowing him on a personal level. And that happens when someone just says, and maybe that's you today, God, as best as I know how. I want to turn from my old life. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and follow him. And God, when we make that confession, you do what only you can do and you make a new creation. And it's easy to say thank you. And God, we do lift up a number of things today. God, I pray that you would keep us healthy. God, that you would watch over our, our city and our country as it's just a crazy time. God, I pray that you will use this book to show us that you can do amazing things. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.